Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. Welcome to Belonging, a podcast that explores how to come home to yourself in the age of loneliness. I'm Becca Piastrelli, your host and guide on a journey of courageous reconnection. As we explore topics like ancestral wisdom, cultivating meaningful sisterhood, living with the seasons and cycles of the earth and your body, and what it means to be a good ancestor. Hi friends, welcome back to the Belonging Podcast. It's Becca Piastrelli here. Thanks for joining in. I am literally dabbing tears out of my eyes. I usually start these podcasts feeling super upbeat and I like pump myself up and I'm like, yeah, and preparing for this, for what I was going to talk about, I was looking up um, Scottish drumming on YouTube and I came across this group of male Scottish drummers. It's like someone took a video of them in front of a Starbucks and I just started weeping like so intensely and it it struck me by surprise actually. I mean, we'll talk more about this is what we're talking about today is folk connection to our ancestors, but I am just like very moved right now by the power of watching these men these modern day men beating on drums with a bagpiper behind them in front of a Starbucks. And, and, um, I saw this, this video at 3.6 million views. So I'm not the only one who's drawn to this and wow. Wow. Mm, My heart feels so tender right now. Well, okay. That is, I guess the perfect segue into what I wanted to talk about this week on the blogging podcast. I wanted to talk about connecting to your ancestors through what is known as folkways. And that term, folk, maybe you've heard it before, folk music, which is one of my favorite genres in Spotify, by the way, Uh, folk tradition, folk lore. So what is this word folk? I, I actually really love it and use it often including um, in my in my desire to use less gendered words around like, hey, ladies, or like, what's up, guys? Just say, hey, folks, 
or refer to people as folks. So folk literally means of the people or people. And actually, this term people, there are many different ways it's described all around the world. It's a very powerful word, the people. It almost isn't done justice in modern day English. Um, but that's what that's what pagan, the roots of the word pagan are. It's like the people, the people of the land. There are so many terms in other indigenous languages that literally mean the people. And it's one of like the most powerful terms in these languages. And so here in modern day, this term folk refers to identity and, and reverence of what unites a people together, a tradition, a culture, a commonality. And the way I have studied herbalism over the years is through folk methods, this idea that you don't need to have a white coat and a, you know, a PhD or a doctor in front of your name that, that coming back to the plants and making medicine is what all the people all of our ancestral connections, our, our people we came from, knew and we can know again. And so I often look to the folk methods of making medicine, for instance, infusing oil with herbs. Like I make a calendula-infused olive oil that's great for making salves or just rubbing on your skin calendula, this beautiful bright yellow flower that is like the easiest to grow. I highly recommend getting some calendula seeds. Also, it easily gives seeds when it's done, so you can collect and save and pass out seeds. It's very good for your skin. It's very soothing. And so I pick the sunshiny blossoms, and I place them in a jar of olive oil, and I seal it shut, and I place it in a sunny window for like a week. And that is known as the folk method of infusing oil as opposed to putting it in a warm water bath or using some fancy infuser. That's the folk method, this word folk. Folklore, this term folklore is about the stories of the people. Folk music, the music of the people and the stories woven into it. It's a way that tradition and stories and belief systems an identity has been held on to, has been able to survive time, has been able to survive the rise of empire, capital E empire. It's been able to fly under the radar through the rise of globalization and capitalism and settler colonialism and whiteness, this erasure of identity that's come through the creation of the colonized world. From this idea of when immigrants come to the new world, they sort of have to leave their identity behind. Well, when that identity is left behind in order to assimilate into a new culture, which is a lot of our ancestors' stories in immigrating to the United States or Canada, there is a loss of the knowledge of that former place where their people are from. And so through all of this, through this uh, modernization of society that you can either think good of or bad of or both of, it's very complicated, there are some things that have been able to survive. And a lot of them aren't written down. Well, now they can be written down, but a lot of them didn't survive through 
being written down or documented because then it could be destroyed, right? It could be throughout the crusades so much of the old texts that documented the old pre-Christian ways of the people, either they weren't written down or they were, they were purposefully destroyed. And so it's through oral tradition, through the speaking and passing down through the generations that we have been able to recall, remember, reawaken these ancestral knowings, these ways of being, these old ways within ourselves. So there are a few folk ways I want to highlight in this episode and that I would encourage you to look into because we all have different backgrounds, right? We all have different identities, um, different parts of the world we're from, known and unknown. We have different genetics, different DNA, different stories. And so I'm going to give examples from what I know, which is just such a fraction of all that I come from, me being a European mutt, which I actually don't love that term, but having many European identities in my ancestral past. But the first one I want to highlight, which I was talking about when, we st- when I started, when I pressed record, was through music. Music, which clearly moves me to tears and beyond words, is a way to capture the belief systems, history, stories of a people. You can still see it today in in um, the expressions of cultures through rap and hip-hop, through jazz, through um, bluegrass. You know, I really love listening to old bluegrass from uh, the time of the the Great Depression and the the Dust Bowl. There's something about listening to those songs and stories that evokes a sense of what it was like to be alive during those times, to experience such poverty, to experience what was happening economically in this country, this country being the United States. I don't know where you're listening from, but that's what I'm referring to. And so I was looking up Scottish drumming, but before that I was looking up Irish drumming. And so I've said that I have Celtic ancestry. And so the Celts are one tribe. They were super dominant in that area of Europe coming down from the the northernmost part of Europe And we really think of Celts as Irish, but they went far beyond what is known as modern-day Ireland. In fact, went down into modern-day France and Germany and also the British Isles. So a lot of Celtic culture has been preserved within Ireland, for which we are very grateful. But, you know, a Scottish Celtic experience is very different from an Irish Celtic experience. And there are so many nuances within that historically that um, I don't have enough of like historical knowledge to really give you all the information. And that's really not the point of this podcast. Although history nerds, that is a fun little rabbit hole to go down. Just like the history of the Celtic invasion and yeah, all the different tribes within it. And even the origin of the Celts actually comes from Spain and the word Celtic or Celts comes from the word Keltoi, which basically means barbarian or like outsider and sort of like rough and tumble, like you don't want to touch deal with them. And then throughout time, the story changed quite a bit. So there are some people who would say being Irish doesn't necessarily mean you are Celtic. But I digress just to confuse you a little bit. 
more to get you to question and think for yourself on what feels resonant in your identity. But in modern day Ireland, there is a form of drumming that uh, is, there's a, it's a drum called the bodrum. And that's what I was originally looking up because when I was in Ireland earlier this year for a retreat I led, we had some traditional musicians come in the last night and play and dance, and it was so fun. And one man brought in the bodron, which is an Irish frame drum. So it has a wood frame, and then traditionally it was goat skin tacked on one side, an animal skin. You know, now it's probably synthetic, but maybe there's, be cool to, if you get to see an original drum or one made with a hide of an animal. And then the other side of the drum is open-ended. So one hand is supposed to be placed in there and it pushes against the drum head to control like the pitch, uh, how deep it sounds or high, how high pitched it sounds. And then in the other hand, you hold like a little stick. There's a word for it. I'm not using the right word. And you hold it in your hand, sort of like between your knuckles and you move it back and forth so you're able to hit the drum on both sides. Like you're moving your hand. I'm moving my hand, but you can't see it. You move your hand sort of back and forth, and then you can move it really quickly. And um, it sounds so cool. Oh, it's called a beater. <laughs> I'm on Wikipedia. It's called a beater. And it would have been made with a piece of wood or bone traditionally. So hopefully you can hear it right now. Let's play a little bit of a bodrin. So when I hear the drumming, there is something about drumming in particular, I should say. It's a folk music tradition that uh, feels so powerful in my body. I feel the same way about cello, actually, too. But something about the drum, I've heard it referred to as the heartbeat of the Mother Earth, or the first reminding of the heartbeat you feel when you're in your mother's womb. But drumming just feels so powerful. And uh, Irish drumming, in particular really gets me going. But then I also have some Scottish lineage. And so this YouTube, which I highly recommend, we'll put it in the show notes. There's a modern day Scottish drum group called Clanadonia. And they're like bearded and kilted. And I look at them and I just feel such, like my heart kind of aches and my eyes tear up. And they really, they're just sort of like Highlanders. And I just feel such uh, knowing, such identifying with them, with their uh, leather straps on their wrists and their like broody faces, uh, and they put on quite a show. So this is a different kind of drumming, and I like to listen to it sometimes to sort of remind me of who I come from and where I come from. And so this is a way to connect with the folk ways of your people is to listen to the music of them. So I, I encourage you to look up the music of your people, whether it's like a dance that comes from the 1900s, like a dance song, or if it's ancient, ancient, ancient music, it's hard to always get access. But YouTube is a great source for looking at music 
And also libraries sometimes have old like recordings of records to connect to the music. And I like to make dinner and play the music sometimes like in candlelight of my ancestors or, you know, just watch YouTube videos and sob with, with the melancholy and longing and joy too. So another way to connect is with the dances, the dances of your people. So for all my people who have Irish ancestry or a love of Ireland, did you not love river dance growing up? I may be dating myself here. River dance? Oh my gosh. I would watch it for hours. It did have its moment on the world stage. And Michael Flatley was like the hottest thing. But there's something about the way the dancers looked with the top part of their bodies so straight and so restricted. And it sometimes sometimes drove me crazy. Why are you so restricted? And I remember my mom would make a joke about like, well, that's the Catholic side of that's the Catholic side of Ireland, you know? And I'd be like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> but then the bottom, the bottom, the free feet and the way the women would, when they didn't have their like tap shoes on, would fly through the air and their curly hair would fly behind them and their beautiful woven outfits. And then when they'd all stand in a line and the men and the women and they'd, they'd with their tap shoes on and it just felt like like a part of my heart would just swell and I would watch it for hours and hours. And there's, that's folk ways. That's folk tradition. That's the dance. That's a type of dance that comes through ancestrally. There's so many dances you can look at, traditional dances, many of them expressing story, right? Like there's the Tarantella uh, my former teacher, Liz Milliarelli, has um, Italian ancestry. So does my husband. And there's the Italian tarantella, which comes from the tarantula spider. And it's it's a dance of courtship. It's a dance of sex, of expression of sex, of a man and a woman, although it doesn't necessarily need to be a man and a woman, joyfully interacting with each other in this way that feels sexual, sensual, expressive in that way that Italians just nail so beautifully. If you're Polish, there's the polka. I grew up making fun of the polka, but I've been listening. I have Polish ancestry, so does my husband. I've been listening to more polka music and um, seeing like the beauty and that being the pride of Polish ancestry and and watching watching that dance on YouTube. So these are folk ways to, to connect to. The next one I wanted to talk about is story. Is what are the stories of your people? What are the stories of your people? And this can be the stories of your family, the myths, the legends, the tales. But what I have been really focused on are the folk tales of the people I come from. And and there's something to remember here about history and how history influences the stories as they move through our lineages. And so I like to look at the creation myths, the ancient, ancient stories that come through and not just our modern day fairy and folk tales that maybe come from the Grimm brothers or 
you know, the fairy tales that we now watch on Disney, although I'm not negating those, I'm just saying like, where do they come from? Let's look to where they come from. I highly recommend a book called If Women Rose Rooted by Sharon Blackie for those that identify with Irish and old European ancestry, where she speaks of the older, the older stories. I actually just saw her speak out here in Point Reyes on the coast, and she was talking about a story she puts in that book called The Rape of the Well Maidens. And she was using this story, one of the most ancient stories um, in Celtic culture, about the Fisher King. And uh, he ruled over an abundant kingdom where uh, there was so much. Everyone had what they needed and the earth was alive. And there were these wells all over the land. And um, wells in Celtic and old European culture Wells were, of course, your source of water, and it was they were revered, they were adorned, they were honored because it it was a relationship that the people had with the land, the wells provided, and it was never taken for granted. Think about a relationship to water these days where we just take it for granted. Oftentimes, people would get married next to a well, and they would plant hawthorn trees around it to protect it. Oh, there's so much folklore around wells. It's beautiful. But in the story of the Fisher King, every well had an otherworldly maiden. So this also this connection to the other worlds, to um, what's beyond the veil, whether it's ancestors or spirits or fairies or whatever is used in that lineage, that culture, that community. So these otherworldly well maidens would come out of the well holding golden chalices or cups of water for weary travelers passing by. They were so generous and honored, these beautiful well maidens. And then a man, a man from another kingdom, King Amangan, came into this beautiful place and he was the first to violate the hospitality of these well maidens. And they say he behaved wickedly and underhandedly and raped a well-maiden. And then when he did that, all the other men went around to all the wells and raped the other well-maidens. And it was horrifying. And they fled. They went back into their wells and disappeared. They didn't feel safe. And what happened was this beautiful kingdom of the Fisher King dried up and became a wasteland And that was the word used, a wasteland. And the kingdom of the Fisher King was never, never again to be had. And this is one of one of the oldest myths of of my of our ancestors. And um, some call it an eco-feminist myth because it's associating the feminine, a woman, with the land, with the earth. And respecting her is respecting the earth. And I think at this time, in this time of history, we need to hear this old folk myth. We need to remember that our ancestors associated the respect of the earth with the respect of the woman in this time of Me Too, in this horrifying Brett Kavanaugh hearing, and everything that's going on where women are just feeling so disrespected and unsafe and we are hearing these horrifying reports coming out about 
and only having 40 years left to help our planet, it makes me really just appreciate these stories throughout time. That's ancestral connection. So uh, when I was in a class called The Folk Medicine and Magic of Old Europe with my teacher, Liz Miliarelli, she had us consciously look up the creation stories of our people, which I found very fascinating. It's like, how did this land come to be? How did this, the earth or whatever was true for our ancestors? Like, what is their story of how it came to be? And this is really cool because it's all based on what our ancestors saw around us. Maybe they didn't know how big the earth was or even that it was round or that there were other continents or other people, right? We have to put, if we put ourselves in the position of our ancestors, it was all based on what they saw around them, how the earth responded, what animals were there, what they ate, how the seasons changed, affected their stories, which is beautiful. So I looked at the, one of the Celtic creation myths, which has to do with a white mare. So, and it's a female white mare named Iocha. Oh, I don't know if I said that right. Iocha, E-I-O-C-H-A. So it basically goes, once upon a time, there was no time. And that was when there were also no gods and no man walked the surface of the land. But there was the sea. And where the sea met the land, a mare was born, white and made of sea foam. And her name was Iocha. So what I love about looking into and reading this certain creation myth, and there's beautiful images of her, both modern day images and ancient images, is that woman came first in the form of a white mare. And before there was no time, no gods, and in Celtic myth, you know, gods are larger than life, uh, and no man, there was the ocean and the sea foam. That is the original source. There's a reverence of the ocean. Think about ancestors on Ireland, modern-day Ireland or Great Britain, like the ocean surrounded them, surrounds them. And, of course, that is where Earth began, man began, creation began. Out of the sea foam came a mare named Iocha. So I highly recommend taking, taking a dive into the creation stories or the folk tales. A lot of times it'll, it'll share with you what the belief systems were, what uh, their sense of morality was, you know? You know, before we got really... Um, Disneyified with our depictions of fairies. First of all, fairies. Fairies are very mischievous creatures and sometimes not well-meaning. You know, like think about the the leprechaun or like a goblin. You know, sort of like trickery, trickster. That was the association of fairies until really the last hundred years, where they became Tinkerbellish. Oh man, I loved I loved fairies so much growing up. I was so into that Tinkerbell vibe. And there's nothing wrong with that. But to, to remember that a lot of the stories our ancestors grew up hearing as children had some had shadow in it, had like some dark sides to it. 
which inform them about life, the nature of man, the nature of suffering, you know, seeing death more clearly, seeing um, heartbreak more clearly, being introduced to these concepts through story. I think there's so much we can learn about that through looking into the old stories, folk tales, fairy tales of our people. So the final folk way that um, I've talked about before and talked about often because I love it is food. Food. Food is the carrier of stories. We know this to be true today. Food is what gathers people together. It is nourishment. It is celebration. And to look to the food of our people is to understand what grew around them, what what they didn't have access to, what flavors provided comfort. Uh, it's really just super, super, super fascinating. So when I think of Ireland, I think of Irish soda bread. And one of the things to know about Irish soda bread is in a time in Ireland where there was famine, where there wasn't a lot of access to a lot of ingredients. Irish soda bread is so simple in its ingredients and so dense, it could provide enough calories, enough enough food to keep you going. So I I don't love Irish soda bread, but sometimes I make it, I slather it in butter, dairy. Dairy is a huge part of the story of my ancestors. Cows, grazing cows, tending to cows, and then dairy being a huge part of the diet of my ancestors. And even looking into the ways they would infuse um, flavors into butter or milk or variations on butter and milk, um, putting onions in there. Onions really good for immune system to protect them or herbs. So, so I make compound butter, herb infused butter, and then you can put it on bread on really dry, thick, hard bread. That's, um, that's something for me to connect. I also think about cabbage. Cabbage to this day feels very, is associated with many cultures, including like Slavic, Russian, Eastern European, but also Irish. Cabbage is easy to grow and also provides a great deal of um, nutrition for the body. It's also an incredible source of medicine. It has a pulling energy. Any woman who's breastfed and has had any sort of issues with like mastitis or a plugged milk duct, to this day, a folk medicine method is to put cabbage on your breast to pull out any sort of clog. I make cabbage poultices when I've got um, something like a sliver or a, a bite on my arm or like um, a clogged pore. Also, onion is great for that as well. So there is such a beauty in learning what your ancestors ate. And I've talked about this before. I highly recommend um, an ancestral potluck, hosting a potluck where you ask people to bring food of their ancestors and to speak the stories, whether it's like what their grandmother made or what they found online. I, When I went to one, I made scotch eggs and I had never had scotch eggs before. And I realized it was a very powerful moment for me because I realized a lot of my ancestors were fishermen, right? And off Scotland and Ireland, fishermen. And so they needed food that could last through the day. And was easy to eat. Many, if you look into peasant food, didn't require a fork and a knife. You know, that was what the upper class had. But the people, the farmers, they need to be able to just 
eat food with their hands. And so it was an egg preserved in leftover bits of meat. They could just put it in a pouch and eat it throughout the day. I also feel such ancestral connection to stews, soups and stews. And I mean, that is, there are different stews that are sort of like classically one culture. I think about Hungarian goulash, which I have the most amazing recipe for that I got from my friend Erin that just tastes so good, has cabbage in it. And then there's, I was looking into Irish stews and I actually came across this article from a book called Land of Milk and Honey, the story of traditional Irish food and drink about the Irish approach to New Year's Eve. So this is Irish New Year's Eve, not Celtic New Year's Eve. So in pre-Christian Celtic culture, the year ends and begins around Samhain or Halloween, which I think when this comes out, we'll have just passed. They also call it the Witch's New Year. But we're going to, we're fast forwarding in history to Christian Irish New Year. So that would be like December 31st. And it was known as the night of the big portion because of the belief that a big supper on this night ensured full and plenty for the year to come. And this was the one year it wasn't like seen as godly to give to beggars, which is interesting. But this custom goes back to way before Christianity, where the success or failure of the crops meant all the difference between famine and plenty in winter when it was really important to like survive the winter and make it to spring to plant and grow abundance again. So spells and incantations were invoked to guard against danger that night. And there are several different stories here, but there's something called a barmbrack, which is an Irish sweet bread. And that was eaten on that night. And it was thrown against the door to prove that no one inside was hungry. And there are some version where it was like the man of the house would throw it against the door and then all the women and children would eat the leftovers off the floor. I think that sucks. Maybe that happened in some parts of the country. There's one story. The door was struck three times with a large cake while the head of the household would recite happiness in and misfortune out from tonight to this night, 12 months in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So it was also known as the day of the buttered bread a talisman against hunger. So, oh, how cool. This idea of bread and butter being a talisman against unwanted forces and unwanted evil forces would be represented by famine because that was the experience of those people at that time. So cool. So cool. So I hope you got a little taste of what folkways could be for you. These are just examples for me. Um, I highly recommend doing your own research. If you have if you have ancestors to talk to, dead or living, to understand that, great. The internet is awesome. Libraries are super awesome. And to just get into it. I'm envisioning all of us lighting candles all over our kitchen, playing like old records, maybe via mp3 you know i'm like wearing my my black shawl for my grandmother braids upon my head and i'm mixing a big stew and i'm humming along to like old polish music or something like that like that would be um a night of ancestral connection through folkways you know a jar of oil infusing on the windowsill so 
think about that. Look into the plants that were grown native to that area. Consider if you have those plants or growing those plants, then drying them and burning them instead of defaulting to white sage, which is more generally a tradition of the indigenous people of this land. Although burning sage is also a European, has European roots as well. I've been burning rosemary and lavender and um, mugwort. You know, that's other folk ways. Look into the traditional medicines, the traditional herbs for healing, for warding away evil spirits. Rosemary, putting rosemary on your windowsills or um, tying it to your front door, particularly in this time of thin veils when otherworldly spirits might be coming through. This is this is a ancestral protection talisman that you can easily work with. So I, I guess my my ask of you is to not just read what other people are doing and do it, is to really look into your ancestry, research, find out what um, you see something that someone's doing and you like it, ask what that lineage, the lineage of that is, and see what resonates for you. This is ancestral connection that doesn't always have to be genealogical or DNA-based or, you know, based on what you're told is right and good. This can be a very private, beautiful experience that we all have access to because we are of the folk. And this is our right as the people, the sacred people of the land. So thank you for listening to this episode. I was so excited to share it with you. I love talking about this stuff. Uh, I'd love to hear or read. So funny, we say hear, but what we really mean is read because most of us are talking on the internet using words. But either way, I'd love to hear from you about folk traditions you know about or that you're discovering or that you want to discover. Um, You can put on the comments of belongingpodcast.com where I will have show notes, including that YouTube video that had me bawling my eyes out before I hit record or hit me up on Instagram at Becca Piastrelli. Thank you so much for being here with me. I hope your autumn is gently transitioning you to the times of inward introspection and shadowy coziness and eventual hibernation you are magic thank you for being here thank you so much for listening i know your time is sacred and i hope this episode infused some inspiration and meaning into your day for show notes links and references from this episode you can go to belongingpodcast.com Also, be sure to subscribe to Belonging on Apple Podcasts, and if you have a moment, leave a review. This helps my little podcast reach more listeners, and I would be ever so grateful.